0: Isaiah 24, verse 1. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, (laughs) devastates it, distorts its surface, scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor. That just means everything's going to be equal. (laughs) There will be no distinction. Everything's going to be flipped upside down and and, uh, no one will be over anybody else in that day. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. Now, those who believe and teach replacement theology, they say, well, that word earth there is Eretz in the Hebrew, and it is, the name of Israel today is Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, that's the formal, uh, actual name of the nation of Israel. And so, replacement theologians would say, the aretz, this is talking about Israel, therefore Israel's laid waste. We saw that happen back in AD 70, and so that, therefore, is what this is talking about. They apparently never got to verse (laughs) 4. The earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers. And that word for world in the Hebrew, let me be very clear, means World. Verse 5, the earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. The new wine mourns, the vine decays, all the merry-hearted sigh... The gaiety of tambourines ceases. The noise of revelers stops. The gaiety of the harp ceases. They do not drink wine with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may enter. There's an outcry in the streets concerning the wine. All joy turns to gloom. The gaiety of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city and the gate is battered to ruins. And thus it will be in the midst of the earth among the peoples as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleanings when the grape harvest is over. We pointed out Wednesday night that grape harvest pointing to the grapes of wrath, the wrath of God being poured out that John talked about in the book of Revelation written 95 or so A.D. Verse 14... Verse 14, notice this, they raise their voices, they shout for joy, they cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord, therefore glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord, the God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea, from the ends of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one, but I say, woe to me, woe to me, alas for me. The treacherous deal treacherously, and the treacherous deal very treacherously. Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For the windows above are opened and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard and it totters like a shack. For its transgression is heavy upon it and it will fall never to rise again. So it will happen in that day? That the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high. What's he talking about there? The spiritual rulers spiritual authorities the powers in the heavens the powers in uh, of, of the air uh, Paul talks about Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 that that's the real enemy and he will punish verse 21 the kings of the earth on the earth they will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison and after many days they will be punished and then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and His glory will be before His elders. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, You know many times as a little kid, I was warned not to do things, but did them anyway. And I was warned of certain punishment, impending doom. (laughs) If I didn't obey, if I didn't listen to to my parents... And the punishment came. Now, Father, I repent before you as one who forgets what you have said is coming. We as a church body repent, Father, for living our lives uh, blind to or callous to or indifferent to the truth of a future punishment that is coming upon this world. Not a punishment, Father, to those who have... Accepted, who have received your grace, your forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. But a punishment all around, Lord, that we are aware of and we need to be talking about. Father, this world is completely blind to it. Some think by environmental standards somehow we can save the world and your word says that is not so. And others are just going about living life, living for today, getting all they can right now, not concerned about tomorrow. And we here are among few, Father, who know the truth, who know what's coming, who know what is determined. And I pray, Father, that you will so ignite and enlighten our lives that the impact will be seen and felt far and wide. I'm asking you to do a miracle with this fellowship. And that miracle, Lord, is simply to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine, not for ourselves, but for the lost in this world. I pray, Father, that we might be taken and and shaken up and used by you in ways far beyond our imaginations, far beyond what we plan, far beyond even what we think. I'm asking you, Father, to use us to your glory and however you see fit. And I'm praying, Lord, that You will give us hearts to accept Your will for this fellowship. And Father, give us songs in the night. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It will be a time of massive upheaval, intense emotional turmoil, physical terror. But for all of that going on, in that time called the tribulation, it will also be a time of the most brazen of spiritual rebellion. There will be no question, no doubt, but that God is pouring out wrath on the world. The supernatural will be commonplace, will be an everyday occurrence. And people on the earth will have absolutely no question as to what's going on, and the vast majority will still rebel. In fact, they will rebel more vigorously. Isaiah talks about it here in chapter 24. Is that time of devastation and decimation. Jesus called it the great tribulation. Matthew 24, 21. Jesus said, There will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until until now, nor ever will. A time unparalleled, past, present, or future. But Jesus also said, Revelation 3.10, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He says, keep the word of my perseverance. The word perseverance that Jesus uses, hupomone in the Greek, means hope that bears up under pressure. To persevere means to maintain your hope in the Lord. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how difficult life may be, regardless of any and all circumstances, your hope in the Lord causes you to persevere. And Jesus says, be that way. Stand strong. Be firm. And I'm finding, and perhaps you are as well, that perseverance nowadays is becoming more and more important. For a believer in Jesus just to stand true. Whether it seems like an uphill battle or not, we need godly perseverance. We need to persevere in the area of morals and godly standards and righteousness. It is absolutely critical that we as believers no longer look like the world. That we accept the call to righteousness. That we are seen as so absolutely different that people will have one of just a couple of reactions to us. One, either to persecute us, or two, to say, huh, what's going on? I want some of that. If we're getting any other reaction, if we're getting indifference from people, because they look at us and say, you're no different. Then there's an issue, there's a problem there. And as these last days wane, we need to persevere. We need to persevere in fights like we've been talking about, the biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman in Washington State. The fight's not over. Not, not nearly. Now you might say, well, wasn't that just past? Yeah? Well, then why not leave it alone? It's not going to affect my marriage. I want to say to you again what I said a couple of weeks ago, and there's a reason I come back to this. This is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. And if you don't believe that, open up Scriptures. Just start in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Read those two chapters and, and, and answer. Is this a biblical issue? How marriage is defined? It matters. It makes a difference. As you know, Monday... This last week, February 13th, Governor Gregoire signed Senate Bill 6279 into law. As of right now, it is Washington state law to redefine marriage to include individuals of the same sex. Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley also just signed into law a bill in Maryland to redefine marriage in the same way that's happened in Washington. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie just vetoed a bill that tried to do that in New Jersey. This is happening all across the nation, and it, you're going to see more of it, state by state by state. This is just kind of rolling forward because, because you see, anytime sin is fed just a little bit, it gets hungry for more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you're going to see this continuing. Good news. Also on Monday, Joseph Backholm, the executive director of the Family Policy Institute of Washington, filed what is now called R74. R-74 is a citizen referendum to stop the redefinition of marriage. He paid the $5 filing fee, and he got that thing going. And right now we're in a two to three week uh, uh, examination period where they're making sure the language is written correctly. It's going to be, it'll stand up to the standards of law. But once that is completed in the next week or so, uh, they're going to need to start getting citizen uh, signatures on petitions, They need somewhere around 120, 125,000 signatures. They really would like 150,000 signatures or more. And uh, there's going to be a ballot or petitions that are out for that. I've already requested some. And yes, we will, the Bridge Fellowship, have them on the back table for you to sign petitions that we can send in and be part of that. Submitting enough signatures will automatically table the law, which is a good thing. The law then will come up as a referendum for vote in Washington State in November and once that takes place we will have a chance to vote it out now I know I understand some of you maybe even right now are sitting here saying I don't like mixing religion and politics and I really don't want to know Rick what your political persuasion is I came here to hear to hear about the Bible not the ballot box and my friends I thought about this I prayed about this and where I am landing these days is we do not have the luxury to sit around and enjoy religion anymore And there's enough of that. In fact, there's plenty of it still going on. If my faith doesn't change my behavior, then it is not faith. It is just a cultural uh, attitude. And so we need some difference in us. We need to stand for what the truth is. Period. And again, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican, that's not neither one of those is going to determine your salvation. What I care about is what is your faith and what does your faith do in your life? Amen. Because the world, as we just read, the world is heading to disaster, and the world is getting darker. Jesus said in Matthew 24:12, "Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Not might grow cold. This could happen if you don't turn it around. This is what's going to happen, Jesus said. Persevere. Be prepared. This is all going to culminate in that time of the world's greatest darkness. Isaiah 24, 25, 26, and 27 is called the Little Apocalypse. We're now in a new section of the scroll of Isaiah. The Little Apocalypse. It's a Reader's Digest version of the book of Revelation. Because in it, Isaiah goes vaults to the last days and talks about the tribulation and talks about the coming of Jesus and talks about the millennial kingdom and the songs of joy. He talks about the salvation of Israel, by the way. And so it's a fascinating section of Scripture. But chapter 24, and this just should stand out like a beacon, it is not all gloom and doom. And I want you to see something and consider it with me again here this morning. Toward the end of this terrifying and dark tribulation as there are cries of anguish in the streets and desolation in the cities and joy is seemingly banished from the entire earth, suddenly another sound penetrates the darkness. Singing. Worship. Joy emerges in that horrific time. Look at verse 14. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. They cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore glorify the Lord in the east. The name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. Mm -hmm. Who could possibly be singing at that awful hour? And the answer is simple. It's those who have been looking for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. These are a people persecuted in great tribulation, But hanging on, looking for the coming of Jesus, and as they see Him return, they burst into song. Even though the world is experiencing mass desolation, they recognize the hour of Jesus coming, and they begin to say, praise the Lord. They begin to sing these songs of joy. They see Him coming. Look down at the very end of chapter 24, verse 23, the moon will be abashed. And the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his elders will be before his glory, will be before his elders. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four twenty nine, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Isaiah says, the moon will be abashed and the sun will be ashamed. Same thing. Jesus says the stars will fall from the sky, powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. All the tribes begin mourning when Jesus comes, except this people. There are some who are not mourning. Oh, there may be tears. We know Israel. Will mourn when they see him, when they recognize him who they have pierced. We know that there will be that mourning coming up as they cry and mourn for for one as for a son. But we also know that mixed with that, there's going to be an amazing moment of worship and praise and joy. Gang, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, all that is but the few, the humble, the faithful. Scattered worshipers who are there looking for Jesus to come. It's not the church. The church isn't there. The church has already been caught up with Him. We're with Him in the heavens in this moment. In fact, we're coming back with Him. <clears throat> Wait, Rick, are you talking about a pre-tribulation rapture? Yeah, we talked about it in November. It was an hour and a half teaching. It's online. You can go listen to it. <laughs> We will return with him to rule and reign with him as priests in his kingdom for a thousand year reign. Now I know that sounds fantastic, but Revelation chapter one, verse six, chapter five, verse ten, and chapter twenty, verse six all detail that very clearly. We come back with it. So in this time that this song bursts forth, these songs here in the in the darkness of the world, we're coming. We're behind him. They're not singing for us, but they're singing for him. All the glory is his. Jude 14 says, Behold, the Lamb came with many thousands of his holy ones, or saints. By the way, that's the earliest recorded prophecy we have. Prophecy of Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam. And Enoch is the one who said, who saw Jesus' second coming at the very beginning. It's a remarkable prophecy. And here in Isaiah's vision, the songs, they're not coming from the heavenly throne room. They rise from the earth. The voices raised in shouts of joy, singing glory to the righteous one. So these are not the raptured saints. They are the remnant of Israel and they are what's left of the tribulation saints. Those who have found faith in Jesus even during that time of tribulation. Some say, well, good, I'll just wait till then. You don't want to do that. (laughs) Not just because it's going to be a tough road. Those who say, well, if all of this is true, I'm going to wait and see. And if it starts to happen, if I notice all of a sudden all my Christian friends have disappeared, I'll give my life to Jesus then. And I say to you what I've said before, if you can't give your life to Jesus right now in the age of grace, what makes you think you're going to do it then in the age of darkness? In that time of devastation. What makes you think you're going to make a decision for Christ before you're killed in that time of devastation? I mean, all bets are off. And even if you do give your life, even if you waited and gave your life to Jesus at that time, you're going to lose your head for it. The vast majority of tribulation saints become martyrs for their faith. It's not a good decision. And it's also really not one based in faith. It's based on seeing with your eyes. And your eyes can mess things up and deceive you. It's never a good idea. I want you to go back here, though, and look at where these songs in the darkness come from. Where do they come from? This is great. We're going to look ahead to learn from a people who are left behind after we've gone ahead. Okay? You with me on that? Verse 14. Here's the first songs that come up. They cry out from the west. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. They cry out from the west. The Hebrew word is yom. It literally means sea. They cry out from the sea or from the west. And it's used both ways. So it probably is west here, although it could be sea. This words typically used to describe the seas around Israel. There are three of them, very easy to remember. The Med Sea, the Dead Sea, and the Red Sea. Okay, But the word yom can also speak of the sea of humanity. Voices crying out, coming out of the sea of humanity. Worship, praise to the Lord. They could indicate shouts of joy emanating out of the darkness. Uh, Almost like if you can imagine if you were out on a a boat on the ocean on a dark night, all lights off, and then someone shoots off a flare. That's what these songs of worship will be like. Just brilliant flares of joy shooting out of the darkness at that time. By the way, don't be surprised. It happens all the time. Songs sung in the darkness. Every time songs of joy or prayers of praise are offered up to God, they're like flares shooting up in a dark night. Every time we sing and we worship, they rise up out of this world like sparks from the sea. You know, worship from the waves. And the vast wave of humanity that is that is missing what Jesus is doing and what He's done for them. And the vast wave of humanity that's just spinning on and rolling in its own way. Every song of worship, every prayer of praise from the smallest of children to the largest of churches... It's like bright lights going up before the Lord. That's a glorious thought. You know, when we come into this place in this barn on Sunday mornings, we begin to worship together. It's not about how it feels. Oh, I like this song. I'll sing this time, you know. It's about being light in the darkness. It's about honor to Him. And there's something that pushes back darkness when we sing, when we worship, when we praise God. It pushes back. The demons don't like it. The devil flees from it. And all the dark forces in the heavenly places, they just, uh, worship's happening, let's go elsewhere. <laughs> let's go to the hearts where there's no worship happening. So they cry out from the west, from the sea. Perhaps the sea of humanity, perhaps from the west. Verse 15 going on, says, therefore glorify the Lord in the east. The NASB translates this, in the east. The King James Version translates it, Glorify ye the Lord in the fires. In the fires. And that sounds kind of cool. And, and I think the indication, what the translators were thinking is, well, perhaps maybe it's not East. Maybe it's fire. Uh, maybe it's the fires of persecution. Praise God anyway. Stand strong. Faith in the flames, you know? I don't think that's what it says. It's a good thought. The word here, the best translator, well, the actual Hebrew word here, uh, praise God from the east, or in the east, the word east is Urim. I have to make a correction. I said it was Ur on Wednesday night. It's not. It's Urim. It's the plural form of the word Ur. And I think that's interesting. You Bible students know because you know about the Urim and the Tumim. Not the Uma or the Thurman. (laughs) Urim and Tumim. It means lights and perfections. It had to do with the breast piece on the ephod of the high priest. He wore this thing. When it came over his shoulders, it had 12 beautiful stones in it. And those 12 stones, each one represented one of the tribes of Israel. All different colors. And we're told in Exodus 28 that the Urim and the Tumim were put in there. And when someone had a question of the Lord, they would go to the high priest and he would ask the question using the Urim and the Tumim. And no one knows how it worked. Some think they were like a couple of extra stones that sat in a little pocket in the ephod. You kind of roll the stones, and if they landed a certain way, that gave you a yes, no, or maybe. You know, kind of like Mr., what is that, Super 8-Ball thing? Was that thing called? Remember, you turn it over, you look and go, I should go out with her! I don't see God rolling the dice. So I'm kind of doubtful on that one. Others think perhaps something happened with those 12 stones that the Urim and Tumim, which means, again, lights and perfections, would light up in a certain way. No one's really sure. Why is it translated east here, Urim? Because in Hebrew, the word Urim literally means lights. And light rises, the sun rises in the east. And so the word for east is Urim, meaning lights, meaning the east. So the eastern gate would be the Urim gate. The light comes from the east. And that's why the word is applied here. And, And bouncing off of Christ from the west and now Christ from the Urim, from the east, it makes sense in the context. Bible students... In the last three and a half years of the tribulation, and think, because we just talked about this a couple weeks ago, where is the remnant of Israel hiding out? And we're all jumping on Petra, and that's probable. (laughs) But we don't know for sure. So, you know, don't go looking at Petra. They might not be there. It's a place in the wilderness. Now, I think Petra is a very likely location. But here's the deal it's a place in the wilderness that is to the east. So these songs, those glorifying, therefore glorify the Lord from the East, may be a prophetic call of Isaiah to the remnant of Israel, hiding out in that hiding place in the East, mourning because they see the coming of the Son of Man, who they have pierced, but then recognizing that and hearing the mourning turning into praise, into glory, into worship there in the East. But it's not just in the West, and it's not only from the East. The praise also, note this, The name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. They praise His name in the coastlands. The word here, I love this word, it's E in the Hebrew. If you're transliterating it, it's it's just I-Y, E. And it literally means in Hebrew, not. What does that mean? Is it praise from a continent? Not. (laughs) Is it praise from the sea? Not. Not. Is it praise from the east? Not. So what is it? Well, it's not continents and it's not the sea. So what's left? Islands. And the word E is often used, a Hebrew word, to describe islands. Perhaps small bands of believers, tribulation saints, hold up, hiding out on Cyprus, or maybe on Crete, or Patmos. Or (laughs) be. But there are songs of praise coming from the islands. And I wanted to mention that because we've got to personalize some stuff here. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord from the islands. The point is this, gang. From the sea, or from the west, or from the light, or from the east, or from the knot, or from the islands. The point is, songs of praise in the dark are raised Songs of praise in the darkness. Notice something else here, by the way. The name of the Lord that is specifically glorified is Yahweh. He says it three times. Glorify Yahweh in the east, verse 15. Actually, verse 14. They cry out concerning the majesty of the Lord, Yahweh. Glorify the Lord, Yahweh in the east. The name of the Lord, the God of Israel. It's very clear. The majesty of the Lord is the Ga'an of Yahweh in Hebrew. The glory of the Lord, the Kabod of Yahweh. And the Lord, the God of Israel, is Yahweh Elohim Yisrael. In all cases, it is the God of Israel who is being glorified. It is the God of Israel that is being prayed. If, If Israel was replaced by the church, why would He continue to be called the God of Israel? Again, just knowing what the Hebrew Scriptures teach, understanding the Bible in full context, blows this concept of replacement theology away. And it is a tragedy that people still buy it today. Verse 16 says, From the ends of the earth we hear songs, Glory to the Righteous One, which is another fantastic name. The Righteous One is Sadiq. The root word means to be straight. The one who is straight... The one who's straight. Okay, that's interesting to me. Because even in our culture, to be straight is not to be homosexual. (laughs) To be straight. There is righteousness here. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is His name by which He will be called. Okay, he's talking about the branch, the righteous branch. Who is the righteous branch? Jesus Jesus is. The branch, the Messiah. And then he says, this is the name by which He will be called, the Lord our Righteousness, Yahweh Sidkenu. Sidkenu and Sadiq, same word. Same root word. The Lord our Righteousness. And here He is just called, glory to the Righteous One. So the praise being lifted up, the honor being given is to the Lord, the God of Israel, who consequently is also the Righteous One, Jesus Christ. God and Messiah. Let's be absolutely clear who's getting the praise. It's not, yes, we survived, check us
1: out. <laughs> <You> know?
0: <laughs> it is all glory and praise to the Lord. Amen. And we've got to keep that focused. You, you hear me pray as I did earlier. God, use this church. Mm-hmm. Don't miss the last few words, to your glory. May we never, ever try to be something bigger than ourselves just so people sit up and take notice of the bridge. If what we do accomplishes great things for the Lord and His name is praised, hallelujah. If we do things that attract attention to who we are, bummer. We want Him to be glorified. Speaking of names, did you hear the news out of Colorado this week? I found this interesting. The Grand Junction High School senior named James Harper quit choir and made national headlines for it. He just quit choir. What's the big deal? Well, the choir was singing a a song called Zikr, an Islamic hymn that contains the line, quote, there is no other truth but Allah. Yeah. So James Harper said, I can't sing that. And his choir director said, we're singing that. And so James said, I guess I can't be in choir. God bless James Harper. And teenagers, I hope you heard that. It, it, it is that simple. Standing up for Jesus is that simple. This is right, this is wrong, I will stand with what's right. There is no other truth but Allah. A local imam was uh, questioned by the news and, and he, he said the boy's ignorance. He said because Allah translated to English is just another name for God. And the school, by the way, is standing by their decision to allow the performance of this song. No offense intended, Allah is not just another name for God. It's not a name for Yah- for Yahweh. Different God completely. And if we're going to say that Allah of Islam is the same as God of Christianity, then we might as well call God Baal, Mal- Molech, or Ashtaroth. Just another name for God. He's not. And if you want to know more about that, I would encourage you to look a little bit more into what the God of Islam requires of His people is not the god of the heavens and he is not the god we serve so god bless james harper yes. the lord god isaiah 48:11 said for my own sake for my own sake i will act for how can my name be profaned and my glory i will not give to another right. so putting it all together gang what isaiah describes is the tribulation period global devastation and yet songs of praise in the dark are raised These songs are just springing out. Not from the nations, not from the government, not from the UN, not from the world powers, not from the global religious body. It's faith crying out as light in the darkness. Lights, Urim. It's faith that ignites brilliant joy in this dark water of the sea of humanity. It's faith lighting up the islands, be Fidalgo, for God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the faith face of Christ. 2 Corinthians four six. Faith sings songs in the dark. Can you? Can you sing songs in the dark? Does your faith allow for worship in the worst of times? Are you right now singing in the darkness I'll tell you honestly I had a hard time hearing the Lord for today's teaching typically it's not so difficult we're rolling along in Isaiah there's so much here and I taught Wednesday night and I got up Thursday morning and I began reading over and I read chapter 24, 25, 26, 27 and I'm like Lord I don't know And this was standing out, but I don't don't, don't know what to do with this. And so I went back and read it again and I read it again. And and by about 10.30, when I was supposed to leave to go have lunch with Jim, I had nothing. Which was a little stressful for me. (laughs) I just had no idea even where to begin. And I went and Jim and I had a great time, Subway. Mm? I love that when I eat lunch at Subway, I'm actually losing weight, too. I, I love that. So, cool. so we, uh, we ate together and we talked, and Jim prayed for me. He said, You know, Lord, I just pray that you'll, that you'll give Rick revelation and understanding, because I share with him, I got nothing here. So I got my car after that, dropped Jim off, and I'm driving back up Highway 20. Now, if you're anything like me, if you come from Oak Harbor this direction, when you're when you're headed this way, you really don't think of it. Some of you take Monkey Hill. You know, you like to go the back way and get off at 20. I don't even think about it. I take 20 and go home. And I usually don't even know where I am until I'm in my driveway. Oh, I'm here. You know. <laughs> which I know is probably not safe driving, but that's just the way it is. I never take Monkey Hill. I just don't do that. And as I was coming to Monkey Hill, God said, turn right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I just, clear impression, go right, okay. So I went out Monkey Hill and I'm driving along. Why am I on Monkey Hill? And immediately I'm a little more alert to things because I don't drive on Monkey Hill. And I came down to Troxel. And the guy goes, turn left. And I got it then. Oh, you're taking me to the property. Well, Lord, I could have just stayed on 20 and gone to the property. <laughs>
1: you
0: know? I think he just wanted me to pay a little attention here. I'm taking you somewhere. So, and I, so, so now I'm asking the question, well, what's this about? And I go out to the property. I'm in my little Kia Soul. So I go out on that nice, you know, that nice little road we have out to where the... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just waiting for you to... <laughs> so my soul made it. That's good. <laughs> No pun intended. And I got out there and I stopped the car and I'm sitting there. And, I, and I'm, so I thought, well, you know, let's just pray a little bit because I still, I'm trying to think, where do you want me to go? And as I sat there, I began thinking about something that the Lord initially told me and told several of us when we first started meeting in Barb and Rod's living room. And that was that if for no other reason, because there were 20 people there, and there were a couple times we looked look at each other and go, what are we doing? You know, well, hey, if for no other reason there needs to be light in this dark place. When we first started meeting in the barn, you know, 60 people on that first Sunday, was like there, there just needs to be light here. You know, there, there's light, there are churches down in and there's light, there are churches in Anacortes and other towns, but, but you start to get out in some of the rural areas like this, and it could get pretty dark. And so uh, we thought, well, we'll and, and I'm thinking about this, that we're here for no other reason, whether there's any kind of, and I had no idea what would happen, if there's any kind of growth for this church, that's in the Lord's hands, but it doesn't matter. We are to be a light in a dark place. And I was perfectly, perfectly content. 60 people? Okay, that'll be our church. If that's what God wants. If only that there is light pushing back against the darkness. So I'm thinking about this on Thursday, right? There's something else I got to tell you before I tell you what I heard. Um, the past few weeks, and Ron and Barb can, can testify to this because we talked about it the other night. I've really been struggling with the whole building project. Just be honest. Um, it's great. I want to do it. I want to see it happen. And yet, and yet I just love this barn. you know. And, and the thing I love most is how so often people walk in the door and they say, I feel the Spirit
1: here.
0: I just feel God's presence here. And my struggle has been, what if we build this building, put all the energy and effort into it, walk in the front door, and we don't feel the presence of God? what if he's still over
1: here? <laughs> you know?
0: You know, it's just me and Spencer studying the Bible in the new building. Everybody else is here. <laughs> and that's where God is. And I, I, I wonder, truly, will we lose the, the quaintness? And will we lose the intimacy? And will we lose the casual nature of, of just hanging out here together and and seeking the Lord in this place, we lose that? So it's us, but you know, in my head, it's all stupid thinking. By the way, it's very human thinking. It's get thee behind me, Satan mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. that's been going on in my head. And here's what God said to me: I believe a word of the Lord for this fellowship, as absolutely clear as day. I'm sitting there in the car. I'm praying. I'm thinking about that. We need to be a light in a dark place, and God said the light needs to spread out. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right.
0: The light needs to spread out. Don't play church. Mm-hmm. Don't be contain- You know, when, Think about it. When did Jesus ever call us to be safe or cozy or quaint? Right. Yeah. He didn't. And you know as well as I know that His Spirit is not limited to location. In fact, you cannot contain God. That's
1: right.
0: He wants us to spread out. The light needs to spread out. And as I sat there on the property, I just got this sense. He's already doing it. Have you noticed that? Yeah. That you can't contain Him to the barn. We needed portables. I'm being facetious here, but we you know, we, we outgrew and, and now we gotta rent a house across the street and the campus is growing, whether we want it to or not. And I guarantee you we'll grow all the way out to Troxel Road if we don't finish that building out there.
1: <laughs>
0: we'll just start taking over homes and you know
1: <laughs>
0: putting up tents, whatever we have to do. The light needs to spread out. Turn in your Bibles over to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul, as usual, has stirred up a holy ruckus. He's causing problems. Paul was kicked out of every decent city in Asia, you know, as a missionary. What we would consider success, yeah, I I don't know, at the time it probably didn't feel that way. Preach a sermon, get rode out of town on a rail. And it happened here in Philippi. And Paul, along with his partner in Christian crime, Silas... Get thrown into jail. Watch what happens. Acts chapter sixteen, verse sixteen. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. We'll just call her Hermione. Following after Paul, I'm wondering sure if anybody got that. We'll call her. Oh, I said we'll just call her Hermione. Harry Potter. Oh. She had a spirit of divination. Wow. Verse 17. So this chick with a demon is following after Paul and Silas. And following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, if I was followed by someone calling that everywhere I went, I'd be like, all right, that's pretty cool. A little louder, you know? (laughs) Hear what she's saying? Spirit of divination. I'm here about salvation. I mean, it's kind of cool. Well, she continued doing this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. (laughs) 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 And he turned and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragging them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. You see what just happened here? Paul's Paul's first problem. Problem number one. Proclamation. Come on, Paul. You're proclaiming the name of Jesus. He cries out as this woman's following them and saying, These people are servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. And Paul finally says, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. He proclaimed Jesus loud and clear. And the immediate result was (sighs) she shut up. And it became clear this spirit, whatever was in this girl, this unholy thing was gone at the name of Jesus Christ. Proclamation. Jesus, the light of the world. His name spoken in a dark public square and it will tend to cause issues if you do this. But it never stopped Paul. He just kept going. Because Paul knew something about Jesus. John chapter 1 verse one or verse 4 tells us, In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. By the way, you caught that, that Paul was annoyed. Let me just ask you a question. Does the selling of evil annoy you? Yes. That's okay. That's a good thing. It should annoy us. Every time anything comes out that is of evil, it should annoy us. So what do I do with that? Campaign? Picket? No. Proclaim. Proclaim Jesus. Proclaim Jesus, the light. So there was proclamation. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods but when they had struck them with many blows they threw them into the prison commanding the jailer to guard them securely this is what happens now think about this Paul and Silas could have said oh so this is what happens when I just follow Jesus my life goes in the pit well then I just don't want to follow Jesus it happens all the time people do that they flame up and burn out well if I had known following Jesus was going to be hard (laughs) I wouldn't have done that they get thrown into prison they are beaten severely The jailer, having received such a command, verse 24, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks, which is not a comfortable thing. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Gang, songs in the darkness. Songs in the darkness. While all the other prisoners are moaning or groaning or just trying to get some shut eye, whatever was going on in the dungeon, in the prison, Paul and Silas were singing. Look at what else happens here. And the prisoners were listening to them. Which means in that, in that place, all of a sudden, the moaning stopped. The groaning stopped. The whining. And all the other prisoners were just like, you hear something? What's going on? That singing? What are they singing about? Let me ask you this. Did Paul and Silas know they were being listened to? Was it all part of a grand evangelical design? let's get thrown into prison, beaten, put our feet in the stocks and then we'll have a worship service and attract a lot of attention. (laughs) Who does that? Who plans like that? Not me. Certainly not Paul. Gang, they were just worshiping in the moment. They were just where their hearts naturally would be. But something was going on that happens. Listen, it happens constantly in the lives of believers. Observation. If you make proclamation, there will be observation. Amen. You can make proclamation very simply by saying, yeah, I go to the Bridge Fellowship. You've just made proclamation. Amen. You now have put yourself on the line as a person of this fellowship who is a believer in Jesus Bridge Christian Fellowship. And if people know that about you, proclamation already been made. Mm-hmm. Observation's going on. Sure. You are being watched. Yeah. Songs in the darkness attract attention. Sometimes because they're just so foreign. It's so weird. Why would you be singing when life is so terrible? Why are you so upbeat when things are so bad? the proclamation, gang, it is not always intentional. More often, it is the genuine nature of a born-again life. But can I just... i got to say this to you all, and I, I struggle with how to say this gently. If you are making proclamation, live... The life of faith. Or shut up. And I don't want anybody to shut up. But what I'm saying here is that if people know that you are a part of the British Christian Fellowship, and then you go around acting like an idiot, shut up. Just shut up. Tell them you're a Baptist, you know. I'm kidding. I am kidding. You know, I'm to a Christian Reform church. No. What I'm... Note yourself, delete that. No, here's the thing. You shame the name of Christ when you wear the name of Christ but act like a fool. Mm-hmm. Say things out of your mouth that you shouldn't say if you're a believer in Jesus. Do things that do not reflect on Jesus. Stand for political causes that are not righteous. Right. If you want to say you're a Christian, act like one. We're called to be light, not to be dimwits. Yes, walk the talk. Oh, well, that's just so cliche. No, it's not. That is true. And we need more Christians walking the talk today than ever before. Where there's proclamation, gain there's always observation. Paul and Silas were singing because that's what people of the light do in the dark. Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. (laughs) For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will appear upon you. So live it. Ephesians 5, 8, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Can't say it any more clearly than that. That is our calling. Proclamation is always followed by observation. People are watching, which is why all of this matters so critically. Verse 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prison house was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. And e- watch this, everyone's chains were unfastened. Salvation.
1: That's right.
0: Proclamation, observation, salvation. Salvation happened that night unintentional though it was. See, that's the great thing about the salvation of the grace of God. You don't have to be out there evangelizing the world, knocking on doors, passing out tracts. You just live the life of godliness. You live the life of the light of Jesus and people will observe. They will hear the proclamation and salvation's going to come. It's so simple and we, we've made it so complex. Just live Jesus. Be Jesus in the workplace. Be Jesus at home. Be Jesus wherever you are everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, we are all here! Which is marvelous. the prison doors flew open, I'd be like... (laughs) (laughs) I'd be hauling back, i got Bible study to get to, I'm late! (laughs) Paul's like, stay here, stay put. And the jailer says, Where's everybody? We're all right here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. <laughs> and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I don't know if he was talking about spiritual salvation or not. Didn't matter. That's all Paul heard. How can I get saved out of this mess I'm in? My marriage is falling apart. How can I get saved? Oh, you want to get saved? Okay. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It is the answer to every problem mankind has. I lost my job and I don't know how I'm going to make it to next week. Oh, you want to be saved? Believe in Jesus. I just got the call from the doctor and I have leukemia. You want to be saved? Believe in Jesus. See, it's what Jesus did, it's what Paul did, it's what the apostles did. They always went to the root of the issue, which was the spirit, the eternal condition of man. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all those who were in his house, verse 32. And they took them that very hour of the night, and immediately they washed their wounds, and immediately, and I have the word immediately highlighted, underlined, and circled in my Bible. Note this. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. The word baptized, baptizo, means to immerse. That's what the word means. He was immersed, he and all his household. Proclamation, observation, salvation, and it all took place in the dark, dank dungeon of Philippi. John says, First John one five. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, this is what I was just saying a minute ago, if we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Back to Isaiah, listen to it again. They raise their voices, they shout for joy, they cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs. Glory to the Righteous One. And again I ask, why are these people singing songs in the darkness? It's because no matter how dark life gets, Jesus' people lift up songs of joy when they see Him coming. When they see Him coming. Do you see Him coming? I do. Unmistakably. Unmistakably. Everything happening in the world around us, and I won't take the time right now to go into a prophecy update, but we could. Everything happening points to His coming. It is imminent. It is soon. Do you see Him coming? Well, if if so, sing. Songs in the darkness. Just praise the Lord. The tragedy of Isaiah 24 is that the vast majority don't. Most people in the chapter are not singing. Most people have lost a voice for song. In fact, we're even told not even drink satisfies. Halfway through the chapter, not even hard drink. doesn't even work anymore. All joy is gone, except for those who see Jesus coming and have been looking for His coming. And the truth is, someone here today, and it's interesting what Les shared... Whoa, fly. <laughs>
1: Attack!
0: Beelzebub! <laughs> Lord of the flies! So, <laughs> it is interesting what, what Les shared at communion. And he said, Some of you need to be saved. Someone here needs to be saved. And I, I believe between this service, next service, and the third service, someone here today needs to be saved. Someone is living in darkness. Someone has no clarity, they have no direction, they have fear, they have frustration, they don't know what's going on, and my word to you is, come to Jesus. You just need to be saved. You need salvation. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, Hebrews 1.3, the exact representation of His nature, who upholds all things by the word of His power, and when He made purification of sins, what Les was talking about, purification propitiation, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. It just means He paid the penalty for my sins on the cross. It is so simple. (laughs) I'm a sinner, my life's the best, I'm in the dark, but Jesus, the light of the world, paid the penalty. And because of that, I now can see. Someone here today is like the Philippian jailer after he believed he was immediately baptized. Some of you have never been baptized. I'm talking about going down into the pond today. (laughs) All right, we'll call around. We'll get a hot tub. (laughs) If you believe in Jesus but you've never been immersed in water, as Jesus commanded, as an outward sign of the inward miracle of salvation, if you've never done that, my question to you is very simple why? Why? Why not? Well, you see, I was sprinkled as an infant. Well, good for you. He didn't say that. He said get immersed. And if you've never been immersed, you need to do it. Well, why? Because He commanded it. You know, I mean, it's just so simple. And it's so wonderful. And it's such a blessing to have that outward expression of washing. Some of you here today need salvation. Some need to be baptized. Baptized. Some need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, go there. (laughs) Listen, we're talking about this a lot among the shepherds and praying it through and thinking it through. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a high value to Jesus. He's the one who came up with the phrase. It wasn't my idea. Wasn't some nut in the early nineteen hundreds in the Pentecostal movement who said, Let's call it this. It was Jesus who said in Acts chapter one, verse four, says gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You have heard of from me, for John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's talking to the same apostles who just a little while before John chapter 20 tells us he breathed on them and he said receive my spirit. And they did. All
1: right.
0: Now he says you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. I already have the Holy Spirit, right? When I gave my life to Jesus? Acts 2.38 Repent and be baptized every one of you and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the indwelling Spirit of God. You get He promises I'll come abide in you but there's more. And Acts chapter 1 describes it baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are people in this fellowship, and we come from all kinds of traditions, and trust me, my tradition did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in it. I did not grow up with that concept or idea. I don't blame my tradition. just—it just, It is what it is. I was never taught that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And many are sitting here. Many sit here in the bridge, and, and you believe in Jesus, and you have expressed faith. You've been baptized by water, but every time you hear about this baptism of the Holy Spirit, you wonder, is that something I really need? I mean, can't I just kind of go on doing what I'm doing? And let, I mean, I know other people are into that. But do I need that? Let me ask you this. Ever feel weak to the task before you? Are you stressed out? Are you freaked out? Are you worn out in these last days? Something's missing. Something the Lord promises to give that will empower you to do what He's called you to do. And I'm not talking about that He's called you to roll down the aisle. He has called you to minister one to another in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 talks about the gifts of the Spirit for ministry in the body. He's called you to be a witness. Well, I don't know how to witness at work. He's called you to be a witness by the power of His Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The miss. you'll receive this power, and you'll be my witnesses, he says. Some need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some here still fear the world more than they fear the Lord. Remember what Isaiah said? We looked at this a few weeks ago, Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, talking about Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Do you want those? Those are are of the Holy Spirit. And Paul describes the Holy Spirit this way Galatians 5:22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And here's the thing: none of those things, the fruit of the Spirit, the aspects of the Spirit, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. None of these things, listen, none of these things are self-grown or self-generated. They are Spirit-generated. It is not my light that the world needs to see. It's His light. Which is why we so desperately need the baptism of His Spirit. So the light can spread out. Remember what Jesus told the apostles? It's better if I go away. Well, how is it better? Because He's not limited. Jesus limited? Yeah, He was limited to the body of one man. He put limitations on Himself when He became flesh. He says, when I go, guess what? I'm going to send my spirit. And when I send my spirit, I can spread out. I will do things through you that you cannot do. As things get darker, only the light of the Spirit of Christ will enable us to joyfully and fearlessly sing songs in the darkness of these last days.